We're going to be in Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20, and this is a part of our service where we open up the scriptures and we hear what God has to say to us today. And uh, this is a very, very pivotal point in the Gospel of Matthew. It's a turning point where uh, the disciples see Jesus for who he actually is, and then they make a very, very clear confession. And so that's what's happening, and we'll read this, we'll pray, and then we'll talk about it for, for a few moments. And so this is God's word to you today. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. So one of the things that I would like for us all to pray right now in a moment of silence before I preach is that God would show us what the church is and what the church is supposed to do. Okay, so what is the church and what is the church supposed to do? So let's pray. Lord, we turn our attention to you now in your word. And like Peter, we want to hear from you. We want to hear that we are called by you. And we want to participate with you. That's why many of us are here. Um, Some of us are investigating what we think about everything concerning the church. And wherever we are uh, on the spectrum of interest in you or disinterest in you, We ask that you would do something miraculous right now, that you would do something that only your Holy Spirit can do, which is reveal the beauty of your Son to us. Reveal that He is the builder of that community where heaven and earth overlap. And reveal to us the mystery that what we participate in right now, even though it seems normal, even though it seems messy at times, that that we are entering into an eternal space right now where you are, are present in and among us. And so would you do that? Would you make us aware of that great truth? In Christ's name, amen. So uh, I was very much shaped by how I think about this text from a guy named Dr. Ed Clowney and a guy named Dr. Sinclair Ferguson. And so I just wanted to say that up front. Most of my thoughts on this particular text come from how I was... Uh, how I went to seminary and and the ways in which I learned from those two particular scholars on the doctrine of the church. But what Jesus is doing in our text is that he's giving his disciples, he's giving humanity his mission and vision for the world, which is that he, and he's been saying this in the Gospel of Matthew from the very beginning, he is making earth look like heaven. 
That's the point of his mission and vision. Uh, And he said this in the disciples' prayer, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now what's interesting about how Jesus chooses to do that is that he uses normal people to accomplish that miraculous thing, that miraculous vision that he has for all of the cosmos. And what he's going to do is that he's going to use people to accomplish the victory of the defeat of evil forever. The defeat of sin, the defeat of darkness. And he's going to use people like Peter to say, I'm going to build this thing through you, through people like you. And we see in greater detail at the end of the Gospel of Matthew and the book of Acts that this mission actually is accomplished as all types of people in all different nations come to Jesus Christ, and the thing that unites them is their confession that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Christ, that he's the Lord. But what's happening in our text is that this great plan, it's like in seed form. And he's explaining something that, that Simon won't actually understand until much, much later, as he's actually doing what Jesus is telling him he's going to do. And the, the point of all this is that the gospel is about to go global and eternal. So that people 2,000 years ago have vested interest in what is going on in this particular text. And it, it became such a pervasive thing in the first century that, you know, in Greco-Roman uh, culture, they began to call Christians um, a different type of human being. They, they said this is a different race of human being. And the reason why is because the only thing that cohesively bound these people together in the first century was not their gender. It wasn't the class in which they were born into. It wasn't their trades, and it wasn't even their ethnicity. It was the fact that all these different types of people, slaves, Roman centurions, women, men, children, confess Jesus as their king. That's what made them unique. That's what set them apart. That's the the cohesive uniting thing in what they were doing. So much so that in in the book of Acts and throughout the Roman world, they they became like little, little Christs everywhere in all these cities. And that's how the name Christian was born. The name Christian was born because they were reflecting what Jesus was like in the world. But in our text, there was no, and I want you to imagine this, in our text, there was no such thing as even the concept of the church. And there was no such thing as a Christian in our text. And what Jesus is showing is that this is where it all began. My mission and vision for the world, my mission and vision for people. This was Jesus explaining to very ordinary people, blue-collar people in the first century, what he was beginning to build through them, okay? So here's what we'll explore today, and uh, I, I actually would not have said this 15 years ago, um, but I think that the, the, the secular world right now is actually pretty interested in what the church is about. Um, you, if you followed what people were saying, especially during the time of COVID, you had, you had folks like 
The Atlantic and, and New York Times, like writing articles about like what what's the church up to? Like what are they doing? What what do y'all what do y'all like want to be about? Um, are you are you actually good for the world or, or not so good for the world? Um, and I think we have a, a very fascinating opportunity right now to actually bear bear witness to what it means to be called out by God into an eternal space. Most people right now are actually begging those inside the church and those outside. Even you know, if you have friends or you have non non Christian friends who who uh, are struggling right now with with feeling lonely. Most of us are struggling with feeling lonely, and most. Most of the world, inside and outside the church, is just begging, begging for a community that feels whole and wholesome. And that's part of what the church is for, but that's not all, all that it is. And what Jesus gives us in our text is what was originally uh, baked into what he, what he wanted to do through people, um, as, as he calls Peter out and says, I'm going to build something through you. And so here's, here's what we're going to talk about today. Um, we're going to talk about what, what is the church and what does the church do? Like, what are we doing right here, you know? Um, what's the church and, and what does it do? And we're going to answer that question under these three points. The church confesses Christ as Lord. The church is called out by Jesus. And the church holds the keys to the, to the gospel of the kingdom. So what's the church confesses, calls, keys? And so point one, the church confesses Christ as Lord. Look, look at your text in verses 13 through 16. It's pretty interesting. Jesus comes to his disciples and he's like, hey, what are people saying about me? <laughs> Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they say, well, some say that you're Elijah. Some say you're a prophet or John the Baptist. And then Jesus says, yeah, but who do you, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter says, well, you're, you're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. And that is the correct answer. Uh, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ means the anointed one, the Messiah, the greatest of all time. And Matthew has been saying this from the very beginning of the gospel, and he'll say it at the end. Jesus himself says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been granted to me, which means that he governs all things, which means that he is the king. He is the king of kings. And when I was raised in the church uh, back in the day, I would hear stuff like that. And I'm like, I don't like that doesn't connect to my life. Like, I don't get that. Um, and when I went to seminary, what I learned is that this was actually the goal for Adam and Eve from the very beginning, that in the Garden of Eden, that they were, were meant to be seen as little kings and queens to spread the garden across the whole globe so that earth and heaven looked like alike, that we were supposed to reflect God, to live at one with God and at peace with him and at peace with one another. And this is how Jesus is viewing himself. And as he's talking with Peter, that this new community is going to center on somebody that is from heaven, but is also a son, a son of God. That in essence, what we see here in this text is that Jesus is the true human being. 
Jesus is who you should have always been. He's the second Adam. And so the more you see him, like what we just saying, the more we see his face, the more you become who you are. The more you become the church. Now, what, what is the church? First, it is people who confess Christ as king. And so you may be thinking, well, that's easy enough. But look at verse 17. Jesus says, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And then Jesus says, blessed are you, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but your father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. The way in which you come into the knowledge of Jesus as Lord is not something that you can like conjure up in and of yourself. And it's not something, in essence, it's not something that you can learn through like determination, but it's a gift that you come into the knowledge of who God is by God, which is outside of you. And so let, let me uh, bring it down on a, on a practical level. There are many babies in this, in this church, right? Um, and some of you are in this phase. When you try to get your infant to start saying, Mama, what do you do? You get right up in their face and you say, you point to mom and you say, ma, 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 right? Right? And then, they, and then they say, if they say, you know, ma, 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 what do you say? You're like, yes, that's right. You did it. Um, John Calvin says that that's how God speaks to us. That, that our capacity for knowledge of him is so slight that he gets right in our face and he, and he says, look at Christ and say his name. And that's what Jesus is saying about Peter's confession here, is that this has been revealed to you by the Father who is in heaven, who looks over you and says, look at him. You did it. That's the right answer. Jesus is the Christ. That's what it means that flesh and blood does not reveal Christ to you, but my Father in heaven. And Jesus says, you have named me accurately, Simon, and now I'm about to name you. I'm about to call your name. I'm about to call you a different name than what you know of as yourself. And I'm going to call you out. So first, the church is a community that confesses Christ as king. And second, the church is called out and named by Jesus. And this is from verse 18. It says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock... I will build my church, and the gates of hell or the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Simon names Jesus as Christ, and then Jesus names Simon Rock. Okay? And what Jesus is saying is that on this stone, on this rock, I will build my church. He's building something through Peter and the building of the church begins with Peter, but Peter is a steward. He's a steward. This is how the early church began, and you can read it in the book of Acts, and there's a large debate within Christianity about that very verse. I mean, many, many, many books have been written on that exact verse and about Peter and the church's authority, but what we're going to focus on today is that Jesus is the builder of the church and human beings are entrusted 
with the care of the people whom Jesus calls out. But the important piece, even that uh, Peter wasn't fully aware of at the time, that he would become aware of, is that what, and this is, this is one of the things that like fascinates me about what we do every single week. What, what Jesus is saying is that you are stones, like in a building. Human beings are stones that can house God's presence. You know, my, my father was a mason, and uh, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but, <laughs> but I remember him telling, like, when we would mix the mortar, he, he would always be like, son, that's too soupy, you know? Um, the, <laughs> the, the cement of what goes in between the bricks is what cohesively holds it together, and Jesus is saying, when you come together as the church of the living God, you are stones that are able to house God. Which means, y'all, that right now, as we speak, and this is what I'm always trying to get us to realize and recognize, that like God, God is here. That God is in you. Right now. In all of us. And we have to come into the awareness that like that's real. And that that's eternal. That's what Peter was talking about in his letter, that you are living stones built to be the, the very presence of God. And, and that idea for Peter started right here in our text. And so that word church that's translated is, uh, comes from an original Greek term called ekklesia. And it means to be called out, the called out ones. And I want you to begin to think about that in terms of that's what it means to be a Christian, to be called out and to be placed in a community Maybe sometimes in a community that's like, I, I, don't, I don't know if I want to be in this community. And God says, I want to put you in this community. And as, as my uh, Professor Ferguson, <laughs> Ferguson would say, you know, like in, in real masonry, like the stones don't talk back. In the church, they do. And Jesus says, I, I died to put you in this community, and so you will be here. Some of you know what that's like. Some of you know that the call of God on your life is like that. You know what it means to be called out? Um, it's hard, you know, when you're the last one called to be on the softball team or, you know, you know when you're on the, on the field. At, at my school, um, at my children's school, sorry, the Coyotes, um, some of you are teachers in here, uh, you, get, you get effort awards at the Coyote Elementary School and they call your name out, right, because of your good efforts. And uh, this is exactly what Jesus is doing with Peter in our text. But when he calls Simon and he gives him this name, Jesus gives him that name and says, I'm actually going to do my work through you. You are a conduit. And what begins to happen is that you slowly come into the realization that the church, y'all, the church is not primarily an institution. It's not primarily a building. It's not primarily an idea. It's not even primarily a community. What the church is, you guys, is that it's the eternal work of God through people wherein he's making earth look like heaven. That's what the church is. It's his eternal decree wherein he's bringing heaven back to earth and transforming everything and redeeming everything. 
And community is a part of that. Becoming an institution is a part of that, but that's what he's doing. It's so Jesus says it's so powerful and so impenetrable that like hell itself can't break through it. Your sin can't break through it. Your sin can't stop it. We can't mess it up because hell itself will not be able to stand against what Jesus does. Jesus, what he's doing in our text is that he plants his church in enemy-occupied territory at the very gates of hell, which means that it will constantly be opposed, not only outside but from within, because the flesh is antagonistic to the way of Jesus. And as a as a, one scholar said, when, when we see the church pride, and this is what I'm always praying that we would see. There's, there's a constant inertia, I think, in the church in the United States. It's like, what are we doing? What are we, you know, where are we going to go? And, and what I'm always wanting for, from you guys and, and even for myself is to open up our eyes to what's actually going on currently in and through us right now. When seen properly, this eternal community functions as a model home of heaven. That, that, that's what the church is. It's a little window into what the future will look like. And I'm not talking about like some lame model home. You know, it's the home that we've always wanted to go to. It's a little piece of the next world where human beings live in harmony with one another and at one with God. And there's wholeness and there's peace. Some of y'all have experienced that. In like an actual church community, in real time and space, where you're like, oh my gosh, like this is, this is for real. Like there is peace with Jesus Christ and those whom he calls out. Peter was, was named and called out by Jesus for this specific purpose. And he played a pivotal role, but, but the most important way in which Jesus would change Peter is by showing Peter in his personal life how to suffer and then how to love people. How to suffer and how to love. That's why Jesus gives authority to people so that they would learn what it means to suffer and to love. And that through those, those two ways of living, you come into joy. This is how Jesus molds us into the beloved community, the beautiful community, to the stones and the building that can house them. The church confesses Jesus as Lord and is called out and named by God in the midst of enemy territory. And then the church is given the keys of the gospel of the kingdom, verse 19. Jesus says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is, this is what I think that means. There's all sorts of differences and opinions on that verse. But in Peter's life, after Jesus rose from the dead, he went into Jerusalem, and he preached the gospel, and 3,000 people got saved. And it totally changed the, the whole deal. And then chapters later, he preached that same gospel to Gentiles, non-Jewish people. And what he was doing is that he was opening the door of the gospel to the world. That Jesus gave him the keys of the gospel 
and it was unbound to the first century through Peter. You know, like when you become, this happened to me. When I, when I became the pastor here, um, Jen Heinrichs gave me the keys to the church. And that doesn't mean that I'm the owner of the church. What does it mean? It means I'm the steward. It means that you let people in. It means that uh, I'm, I'm the servant. I'm the janitor of the church. And Peter and the rest of the apostles, they were, they were granted the keys of the kingdom. But we get so confused when it comes to like leadership. <laughs> you know, Paul in one of his letters in, in the church at Corinth, people were like arguing about like who was following who. He's like, he was like some follow Peter and some follow uh, Silas and some follow Paul. And Paul's like trying to diffuse this like dumb way of thinking And he says, this is how people should regard us. We are stewards of the mysteries of God. And if you, like, you know this, if you lead in your job, if you lead in your family, if you're a parent, you have some sort of authority uh, within, within your life, if you're a teacher and you're trying to lead a classroom, if you're a professional, what, what begins to happen, the older, you, the older you get, typically, you are put in places of management of people. And almost immediately, what you learn when you are gifted authority, when you're gifted that key of management, what you realize is, I don't belong to myself anymore. I am for others. I have less autonomy. I don't control my life anymore. I'm a servant. And, you know, we desire, all of us desire leaders that, that give instead of take. Leaders that um, say no to their comfort and say yes to suffering sometimes. And we like leaders like that. And, y'all, I just want to tell you, like, the reason we like leaders like that is because of Jesus. He showed us how to lead. But we are all tempted to think that leadership is about comfort and not suffering. And Peter himself wouldn't, wouldn't be aware of his own misunderstanding of Jesus. And in just a few verses, the powers of Satan will overtake Peter. And that's uh, why the end of verse 18 is very important. Verse 18, the church is intentionally situated in enemy-occupied territory. The enemies of the church are primarily spiritual There's enemies outside the church, but there's also enemies within the church, but more specifically, enemies within yourself. And we see that in the coming passage where Peter, he just made the perfect confession of Christ, and in the same breath, he denies Christ by thinking that Christ should not suffer. And what this means is that the spiritual powers of evil can take someone who literally had the perfect articulation of the gospel, who said it exactly right, but who completely misunderstands that the way of Jesus' victory is through the cross. And that's the way of your victory too. We see later on Peter's failure actually prepared him to lead in the way of Jesus. But y'all, this is the very heart of the gospel. Where you have most failed, 
where you have most blown it is where Jesus reveals himself to you. That's where when your confession drops down into your heart, you can confess that Jesus is Lord, but you don't believe in your heart that he can raise you from the dead until you see that he saved you from your failures. This is why the places of failure in your life are the exact places of deepest comfort when you have Christ. That's why the worse it gets in Christianity, the better it is in terms of your intimacy with the Lord. This is how he defeats the powers of hell that exist within our hearts. This is how the very gates of hell cannot penetrate the fact that like evil won't win. Evil, evil will not make you cave in on yourself because of the power of the key of the gospel. And we see it specifically in how Christ suffered for us, specifically when we are failures and we see like he still, he still loves us and it's okay. So I'm going to use uh, one, one example and then we're actually going to, we're going to close. There's a very prominent minister in our denomination. He had a son and uh, his son, as he was growing up in this church, he was told by many, many people, he said, man, I wish I had your dad. I would, I would have such a wonderful understanding of the gospel. I would have a changed life. And he said that I would always be very honest. And I would say, actually, I was a pretty angry child growing up underneath my father because he wasn't a good dad. He wasn't, he wasn't relationally present. He was so, so consumed with work. And then he said this. He said, my parents weren't good parents, but they did forgive and repent, both in front of me and to me, and to each other, and to other people in front of me. And then he said this, and this is one of the things that I really want us to take in. He said, I know it's surprising to hear, but it's not the articulation of the gospel that our children most need. It's not an accurate view of the gospel that our children most need. It is the Spirit of God working through flawed and broken people that they most need. That's what changes people. That's what changes people. That's the key of the gospel, that when you see your brokenness and you are open about it, that that is what really can change the human heart. And that's what unlocks the gospel in the lives of our families and then in the life of the world. And that's what the church is. That's the community that you want to be involved in. You know why? Because we're all broken, whether we admit it or not. And the reason why none of us feel safe around each other is because it's not safe to be broken in front of other human beings right now. We cancel each other like that, you know. And Jesus says, not, not in my community. Because the prerequisite to getting in my community is that you must be broken. That's why I came. That's why you confessed me. That's why I called you out. That's why, Peter, I made you a rock. So that the leaders in the church are the most broken ones. That's the whole point. What does the church, what does it do? The church confesses Christ as Lord. The church is named and called out by God. And the church holds the keys of the gospel of the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for another day. We thank you for your people. And most of all, we thank you for your son Jesus who has built his church um, through us. And we ask, Lord, that we would look to you as our king 
that we would remember that we have been called out by you and that you have granted uh, your people the keys. In Christ's name, amen.